Welcome to In the Pines, a monthly podcast covering the mysterious, weird, and sometimes unbelievable stories that happen in the place where people love to find solace, the great outdoors. My name is Pox Holiday. <laughs> and I'm Nikki. And well, I don't know why, but you look so formal when you did that just now. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm looking I'm looking at the I'm looking at my sound wave over here to make sure it's still working. And oh, gotcha. uh, okay. I don't I, I don't know what's happening. I think uh, lately I've been saying some words weird. Maybe I have a problem. I don't know. Maybe I had a stroke. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm just saying gosh. the wrong syllables. Yeah, syllables. Yeah, yeah. And How are you? Words and I'm not bad. How's you, pal? I'm not bad. We didn't do our usual two hours of bullshittery before no. we uh, actually said those last words we just said. It was said. only, what, 25 minutes? So I'm <laughs> yeah. proud of us at this point. That's a, yeah, that's yeah. a breakthrough for yeah, us. Yeah, it's just uh, 2350 is what I had. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 2350 is what I have it at. Oh, gosh. <laughs> hey, by the way, I need to, because I got way too excited about this, yeah. I did talk to you a little bit beforehand. So there, like I was telling you, uh-huh. There is a missing persons case here in my area. It was for Deanne Keene, and they actually arrested somebody and charged them with murder in relation to her disappearance. Wow. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up is because the man that was charged with her murder, which I think it was first degree murder is what he was charged with, his name is Ronald McMillian. Now, friends... Some of you might recognize that name because Ronald McMillian was featured on a certain show on the History Channel about ginsenging called Appalachian Outlaws. What? Yeah. And that's why I was kind of like telling you a little bit about it on the get-go. Yeah. Long story short, the night that Deanne disappeared, she was at Ronald's house. He was pretty tanked up, if you know what I mean. Yeah. There were other people that were there with Deanne. And he apparently took a little pistol out of his, I don't know, he had a pistol, shot it into the air. The bullet went so close to her, like grazed her hair and like her hair moved from it and stuff. And then after that happened, the people that were there with Deanne, they they were like, we're getting out of here, we're leaving. Deanne decided to stay behind and that's the last time she was seen. She was reported like missing, I want to say five days later, finally. And she hasn't been seen since. He's always been, I think... I mean, I'm just going to, this is my speculation. He's always been like number one suspect, obviously, because of allegedly, you know, the circumstances of the night she was last seen. But to hear that he was finally charged and she's never been found. So I don't know if it was they finally had evidence stacked up enough to where they can make an arrest, um, doubled with the fact that I think it's after seven years of being missing, um, someone is can be declared dead. So it might have been that in conjunction with it. But either way, they have arrested someone, Ronald McMillian, and they've charged with him with her murder, which really makes me happy. I mean, I hate that it's come to that point because I, I think everybody was kind of holding out hope that she might show back up. Right. Um, but it was pretty obvious that that's more than likely what happened. But to hear that they finally like arrested and charged him, that's like, ugh, it's a breath of fresh air. And that's the second cold case within the past year to where there has been an arrest and someone charged. Um, the other one was the... Yeah, I remember uh, that. Unidentified remains I told you about that were found three miles from my house. So a couple months back, they actually, one, announced who that was that was found. It was James Johansson. And two, they arrested and charged someone 
um, for his murder and extradited him from Texas back to here. And the guy that was charged with Johansson's murder, I grew up with, is what's scary. Like, he was a year below me in school and stuff, but I, like, vividly remember him, so... Hmm. So that's two breakthroughs on two cold cases, which is really great to hear. But at the same time, it's like, it's crazy. I mean, I know it happens everywhere, but it's crazy to hear that it happens here, I guess. I'm just going to say it's strange that you've been around two of them in the past year. Listen, Hmm. here's a funny for you. Maybe, you know, it'd be a really good idea to bring it up on a podcast that you're on (laughs) to, you know, like lay the track that you weren't involved. I mean, mean, the funny part is, (laughs) though. What you do, bring it up on a (laughs) podcast? Never. Never. No, the one that was the remains that were found up here near where I live, the funny part is I called my dad and I was like, Dad, did you hear what happened? And he's like, I saw the news. And I was like, was that you? Did you dump a body? Just joking with me. He goes, I don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, excuse me? Hold on a second there. <laughs> he was like, no. Why are you going to be accusing me of dumping a body? I was like, because it's something I can see you doing. That's why. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> but... But no, it was not me. It was other people when they got charged. But I'm glad that both of those cases are now getting a little closure because they were they were long cases. I think the Johansson guy went missing in, I want to say, 05, but I'm not positive. And then Deanne went missing, gosh, I think it's been seven or eight years now that she's been wow. missing. So, yeah. But there's my bit of top of the mm. episode news that I'm kind of excited about because you know I'm a true crime nerd so right <laughs> I don't have anything you know I've been telling you before this what my last couple of weeks have been like so I have had nothing I went to a basketball game that was fun and that is the <laughs> <laughs> that is the last piece of fun I have had and uh oh man I've actually I'm actually getting ready to embark on something else I didn't tell you about but uh I'm gonna tell you right now that's yes you did tell me about that oh, okay never mind yeah. that i did tell you about that everybody just that was beeped <laughs> out nobody heard that but but yeah apparently no. i did tell you i think i told you in text but i haven't told you told yeah. you but yes yeah. but anyway so that's going to be something and then i'm going to treat myself with something else because of that thing at the end of this month and Ooh. uh that'll be another endeavor that i've wanted to do for about 10 years but oh. nobody's gonna see it I'm gonna paint. I'm gonna me? paint paintings like George Bush. Are you really? No. Oh, <laughs> no. I got way too excited. I was like, really? That'd be cool. No, but I. It is going to involve me taking lessons. I'll. I'll oh. keep people in at some point in time. But yeah, it'll be the first time I've okay. taken lessons in something. But I, I. I told my wife the other day I wanted to do it, and she said, "I've been waiting for you to say it for like a decade." And I was like, "Okay, uh, then oh. you know what? You know what would have been great." Surprising me with my birthday for that thing. <laughs> All those years you didn't get me shit. You're like, hint, hint. All those years hint. you didn't get me shit. Well, guess what? You could have got me those blank lessons. But anyway. Uh, anyway. I also did a little self-care, by the way. Yeah, I did. I was going to say, it is very lovely. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's, it's dark and lovely for those of you who can't see it. It is a tight, tight perm slash jerry curl Stop. right <laughs> you're an asshole <laughs> <Fucker>. <laughs> no i chopped about nine in- no not nine inches probably about five inches off and yeah it was a good amount embraced yeah. my gray so yeah yay and i took a whole vacation day at work to do that <laughs> that's you should do you should 
That's what my boss said. She was like, you know what? You've got the time. You never take it. You need to do it. And I was like, thank you. Exactly. <laughs> so. Exactly. But. Self-care. Well, you know what? One of the things that I've been doing is literally going down so many rabbit holes about the story we're going to do today. Oh, and can I just tell you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The background alone. I was like, I know you gave me like, here's what you could look at to narrow it down. And, da, 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 and that's still like. That was still uh, an, an insane amount. And I've got like four pages of info on just the background, and I'm going to apologize now. <laughs> so, so if anybody ever tries to say we don't, you know, research our stuff, well, we do. <laughs> exactly. We definitely do. Probably a little too well sometimes. <laughs> yeah, but that's, you know, that's the way I like that. One of my favorite podcasts is a podcast about uh, horror movies, and I don't like horror movies at all and it's uh two guys that i like to listen to talk about anything really and they just really like horror movies and so like their their episodes are like three hours long and like i i get upset if it's less than two and a half hours long so you know i I don't think anyone's coming here for brevity and you know judging by our listenership people are fine with that (laughs) well good yes good So yeah, so we can we can take our what they call sweet ass time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. You ready to get this beast started? Oh, I am ready. All right. So to start out on the background of the region today, we're gonna kinda go a little broad to start, and then we're gonna work our way down to a more specific area, okay? So okay. bear with me. The broad, the east coast of the United States also known as the Eastern Seaboard, the Atlantic Coast, and the Atlantic Seaboard is the coastline where the Eastern U.S. meets the North Atlantic Ocean. And this region will span all the way from Maine down to Florida. So that's the whole East Coast. If you didn't know that already, then okay. Um, And although Pennsylvania, Vermont, and West Virginia have no actual coastline, they are actually considered to be a part of the east coast of the U.S. because of their presence in the east coast regions of the Mid-Atlantic, New England, and Old South. Um, and these states are also considered a part of the east coast because they were members of the original 13 colonies from which, you know, our lovely nation was formed following the Revolutionary War. That's so, where them stripes came on. from. Yeah, all them stripes. Um, so... Just a quick rundown of what the 13 colonies were. We're not going to go like crazy into it, I promise. So the original 13 colonies were the province of Massachusetts Bay, which was chartered as a royal colony in 1691. Province of New Hampshire, um, established in 1692 or 1629, um, emerged with the Massachusetts Bay Colony in 1641 and chartered as a royal colony in 1679. I'm going to get so tongue-tied this whole time. Um, Connecticut Colony, established in 1636, chartered um, in 1662. Colony of Rhode Island, chartered as a royal colony in 1663. So that's our New England colonies. Mm -hmm. Um, Our middle colonies are Delaware Colony. Um, It was established in 1664 as a proprietary colony. Um, Province of New York, it was... Established as a proprietary colony in 1664. Finally, chartered as a royal colony in 1686, province of New Jersey. Chartered in 1702, province of Pennsylvania. 
um, established in 1681 as a proprietary colony, and that's our middle colonies. Southern colonies were, and these also, so southern colonies were also called the Chesapeake colonies and the tobacco colonies, by the way. And I'm Hmm. sure we can kind of guess why, because southern colonies were the land of tobacco, so obviously Mm -hmm. on that one. And it seems like they just kind of lumped in the southern colonies into Chesapeake colonies because, I guess, of the Chesapeake Tidewater region. So, huh. um, But those are Colony of Virginia, first established in 1607, then chartered in 1624. Province of Maryland, established in 1632 as a proprietary colony, which that one, I was... Maybe it's just the West Virginia girl in me, and I don't know. But, like, I never think of Maryland as a southern state. Yeah, it's always kind of a tough one. Well, and that's the second. Like, you brought it up one time mm-hmm. when we were doing an episode that it's, like, a southern. I'm like, how is that a southern? Like, it just doesn't seem it to me. But anyways. Right. I digress. Um, but we also have province of North Carolina, previously part of the Carolina province, um, until 1712, and it was chartered as a royal colony in 1729. Province of South Carolina, same deal, same years. And province of Georgia, which was established as a proprietary colony in 1732, made a royal colony in 1752. So that's our 13 original colonies, if you didn't know, friends. So now, now that we've got like that bro- broad scope of where we are, we're going to kind of narrow it down to an area of the East Coast that I know I'm familiar with. And it seems to be, if you live in West Virginia, it's a huge vacation area. And that is from the Chesapeake, Chesapeake Bay region in Virginia down to Outer Banks in North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the running joke in West Virginia mm-hmm. is that everybody goes on vacation to Myrtle Beach, but that's not in this region. So. All right. It's either Myrtle or Outer Banks that everybody goes to here. So um, so we're going to start out with Chesapeake Bay, um, which is the largest estuary in the U.S. and is located in the mid-Atlantic region. It's primarily separated from the Atlantic Ocean by the Delmarva Peninsula, um, which includes parts of the eastern shore of Maryland, eastern shore of Virginia, and the state of Delaware. And with its northern portion of Maryland and southern part in Virginia, the Chesapeake Bay is a very important feature for the ecology and economy for those two states. Um, more than 150 major rivers and streams flow into the Chesapeake Bay, and it has a 64,299 square mile drainage basin, which covers parts of six states, which include New York, Pennsylvania, Delaware, Maryland, Virginia, and West Virginia, uh, and all of the District of Columbia. Which, here's what's so funny about a little West Virginia fact for you. See, the only part of the Chesapeake Bay watershed that West Virginia is a part of is the Potomac up in the eastern panhandle. The rest of the state drains into the Mississippi in some way. Yeah. So, fun fact. Um... The bay itself is approximately 200 miles long from its northern headwaters in the Susquehanna River to its outlet in the Atlantic Ocean. Um, At its narrowest, it is 2.8 miles wide, and that's between Kent County's Plum Point near Newtown in the east and the Harford County western shore near Romney Creek. Um, And it's 30 miles at its widest, which is just south of the mouth of the Potomac River, which divides Maryland from Virginia. Uh, total shoreline, including tributaries, is 11,684,000 miles, which is insane. 
And it's circumnavigating a surface area of 4,479 square miles. Average depth is 21 feet, which that's surprising to me that that's like the average. It's not very deep at all. No. Um, And it reaches a maximum depth, though, at some points of 174 feet. The bay itself is spanned twice. Once uh, one spot is in Maryland via the Chesapeake Bay Bridge from Sandy Point near Annapolis to Kent Island. And the other, which I have been across and through countless times, I can't even remember, is in Virginia um, via the Chesapeake Bay Bridge and Tunnel, which connects Virginia Beach to Cape Charles. Um, So as far as we want to talk about with peoples in Chesapeake Bay Area. So humans have had a presence in the Chesapeake Bay Area for over 11,500 years. Um, quote-unquote paleo-Indians, or the first humans in the Chesapeake Bay region, lived off the land by hunting game and living off the earth in small nomadic groups. So for thousands of years, Native American societies lived in villages of wooden longhouses close to bodies of water where they fished and farmed the land. Um, and villages often lasted anywhere between 10 and 20 years before being abandoned due to local resources depleting. Mm. Um, so these Native American peoples, which we, I can remember growing up learning about like the Native Americans and the longhouses and stuff, because that's something that was kind of practiced mm-hmm. in this region too. Um, but I didn't realize that they actually like would abandon an area. Just use it up and be like, all so right, next was, one. Yeah. They're like, all right, we out, which I mean, hey, whatever that works. I guess they would do it on like a rotating basis. Though. Yeah. I mean, kind of like you would do farmers do fields, I guess, maybe. Yeah. It's kind of like that scene in Mad Men where they just, at the end of the picnic, they just throw away their trash down the hill. So as time went on, Native American communities around Chesapeake Bay formed confederations, such as the Powhatan, the Piscataway, and the Nanticoke. Um, Each of these confederations consisted of a collection of smaller tribes falling under the leadership of a central chief. So, the first European explorers entered the Chesapeake Bay area in 1524 with the arrival of Italian explorer, which I'm going to totally butcher this, Giovanni de Veronzo. Hey, sounds good to me. Hey, cool. Um, But he didn't actually make landfall in the bay Mm -hmm. um, itself. He just kind of stayed out in the waters, all that. (laughs) Um, Saw it. I've been there. He's like, saw it. it, We good. I'm not going in. Um, in 1525, though, a Spanish explorer okay. named... Have you heard how these people talk? It. Hell no, I'm not going in there. <laughs> They're like, forget it. No, they <laughs> said, let's leave it up to the English later on. They're idiots. Um, <laughs> but in 1525, a Spanish explorer named <clears throat> Luca- Lucas Vasquez de Alien? Alan? A-Y-L-L-O Axante N. Oh, yeah, one of those. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, so Lucas decided that he was he sent an expedition Lucas. from out of Hispaniola um, that reached the mouth of not only the Chesapeake but also the Delaware Bay and they would oh, wow. eventually in 1526 establish a short-lived Spanish mission settlement um, called San Miguel Guadalupe along the Atlantic coast that lasted maybe about a year and then it was abandoned in 1570 spanish jesuits would also attempt to establish the short-lived ahokan mission on one of the chesapeake tributaries in present-day virginia spoiler alert neither of those missions lasted more than a year <laughs> um which that's fine by me the jesuit can just yeet themselves out um yeah. I have feelings, but anyways, uh, the arrival of... Oh, I think I misunderstood what you said. 
I thought but, you meant like they got run out. But oh, you're no, saying they, they, they just, ran out the Native Americans. No, no, no. They, Wait. It's not that they got ran out. It's just that the, it like they couldn't sustain themselves. They didn't know how to like. They just couldn't last there. In other uh, words, uh, the, the 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 Jesuits. And the Jesuits the couldn't. Okay. That, okay. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. 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 No, we'll get we'll get to Native Americans getting run out. Trust me. You know, <laughs> oh yeah. About that. Oh yeah. Um, the arrival of English colonists under Sir Walter Riley and Humphrey Gilbert in the late 16th century century. Um, to found a colony later settled at Roanoke Island off the present day coast of North Carolina. We'll get into that. And we know how that turned out at Roanoke Island um, for the Virginia Company. This marked the first time that the English approached the gates to the Chesapeake Bay between the capes of Cape Charles and Cape Henry. Um, and three decades later in 1607, Europeans again entered the bay um, Captain John Smith of England, because we all loved Captain John Smith, <clears throat> not really, but if you were a dork and loved the Disney film Pocahontas growing up, you're like, John Smith's not so bad. And then you grew up and you realize he was a shit human. Anyways, yeah. so Captain John Smith of England. But he had these drawings. He had these drawings. Pocahontas loved him, but she chose her family over him. And da da da. And yeah, and then, yeah. Oh, God. Fuck you, Disney. You screwed up my childhood. Anyways. Um, <laughs> By the way, I'm just going to go ahead and say that Fuck You Disney is a running theme of this episode. Oh, yay! Good. Okay, so I've started it. Um, so, three decades later, in 1607, Europeans again entered the bay. Captain John Smith of England, who I just had a rant about, you know, when it comes to Disney, explored and mapped the bay between 1607 and 1609, resulting in the publication in 1612, back in the British Isles, of a quote map of Virginia mm. um, and this map of Virginia as well as the hope of freedom from rel religious persecution would then have white Europeans clamoring to come to this new land thus spreading their disease and ideas on the Native Americans and essentially grew screwing up a good thing so yep here's my little dab at that um, only there are only actually three mid-atlantic islands that remain that have year-round residents uh two of which lie kind of in that chesapeake bay area uh first one is smith island in maryland currently has a population of 400 people scattered over three small communities each with a methodist church um <laughs> and the island's elementary school and a modern visitor center and museum are in ewell um tourists visit but if you stay overnight and fishing is the main business on Smith Island. And the docks around the island are lined with fishing shacks and soft shell crab operations. Um, the second one kind of in that area-ish is Tangier Island in Virginia. Mm. They have about 700 residents. And the island has a landing strip for helicopters and small planes. And also greets visitors via boat from mainland Maryland and Virginia. Um, and tourism is a slightly larger business on Tangier Island, but fishing is its main resource there. Um, so now that we got out of the Chesapeake Bay, because we're talking about when we narrow it down, we narrow it down to Chesapeake Bay and Outer Banks area is what mm -hmm. I decided to do. So Outer Banks, baby. Um, <laughs> OBX. Everybody, OBX. you know, it, 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 if you're from Florida, you have two stickers on your car. OBX and Ron John Surf Shop. Um, if you're from West Virginia, you have usually 
two stickers on your car, OBX and Salt Life. <laughs> salt Life, yeah. I always love it. I always love people that are that are, that are, that live up here in the mountains and have Salt Life on. I'm like, oh I mean, God. I get it's a company, but still. Every other vehicle in this freaking, at least down here in the southeastern part of the state, has a Salt Life sticker across the back windshield. Yeah, and I'm just yeah. like, you live in West Virginia. Oh, while 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 we're doing this, I I I think I've asked this before on other podcasts, yeah. but um, I'd like to get a a, a, a a I'd like to hear from people around the country. Do you have people who drive around in your state that have things on the back of their car that say "In loving memory of," oh and it'll be God, someone who's yes. dead. And and, and yes. so my my question always is is like, they have to be like feeling guilty because they got money. From this person dying and they bought a car with it <laughs> or like, it's like one of those things it was oh god no you've got to cut this part out <laughs> all right so good listener uh you just missed about three or four minutes of us ranting about several things that will never make it into the podcast sorry go ahead nikki mainly nikki ranting of course oh i had some too <laughs> about some innocent people <laughs> <laughs> oh god okay all right so outer banks baby salt OBX. life and obx stickers abound in west virginia anyways <laughs> the outer banks are a 200 mile string of barrier islands off the coast of north carolina and southeastern virginia uh, which i didn't know that it was part of southeastern virginia i thought it was solely in north carolina so that's mm-hmm. something new i learned um they lie the line mostly is off the North Carolina coastline, um, and it's separating the Currituck. Currituck, yeah, yeah, Currituck okay. County, Currituck. Um, yeah. Albemarle Sound, which I knew that one. I have a friend that lives in Albemarle County in Virginia, mm-hmm. um, and okay, Pamlico. Pamlico, yeah, right? you got it. Okay, Pamlico Sound, yeah. woohoo, from the Atlantic Ocean. Um, it's a major tourist destination. I can attest to that. I've been there before, and I know can't even tell you how many people I know that go there for vacation um and the outer banks are known for their wide expanse of open beachfront and the cape hatteras national seashore the seashore and surrounding ecosystem are important biodiversity areas including beach grasses and shrubland that help maintain the form of the land itself um i've i wish i had looked up like some of the like animal and creature statistics and stuff but i do Mm. know that like outer banks are considered one of the most bio it's one of the <clears throat> most biodiverse areas on the east coast yeah i just don't remember like what all critters yeah. and whatnot are there um the outer banks were inhabited before the arrival of europeans duh um by small branches of larger tribes so kind of like in that same respect that they did up in chesapeake bay area um and these tribes were some such as the algonquin speaking oh gosh chowanoke Sekotan and Potskeet. Um, and I very apologize because yeah, I know that's not right. Um, and they, these tribes actually live semi-nomadic lives also. Um, and Native Americans will use the Bear Islands facing the Atlantic Ocean for fishing in the summer and reside on Roanoke Island or the North Carolina mainland in the winter. Um, let me ask you, so is Roanoke Island itself, is it a pretty decent sized island, I'm assuming? Because I've never actually been to it. I've been to a couple other places in the Outer Banks, but Roanoke Island's not one that I have been to, so. Roanoke, I mean, it, it, I, you know, I really can't even remember. I'd have to look at, 
look it up. It's back behind me. So the Outer Banks were sites of early European settlement in the U.S. and remain important economic and cultural sites to this day. Uh, most notably, the English Roanoke Colony vanished from Roanoke Island in 1587 and was the first location where an English person, Virginia Dare, was born in the Americas. Um, it's important to note that along the coast, the Roanoke Colony was established initially in 1585, then re-established in 1587 because the 1585 group didn't work out, and then it was found abandoned in 1590. Um, and while I would love to go into the mystery of the lost colony of Roanoke, that's a whole other can of worms that we are not even going to try to open today because it's you go down a rabbit hole with that. I think they finally figured out what happened, which was essentially the white settlers moved off Roanoke Island and like immerse themselves into the Native American tribes in the area is what it was, if I remember correct. I think they finally figured it yes, out. But yes, yes. That is, that is that is I will say that is the current story. Current story. Okay. Mm -hmm. So after the per permanent settlement of Europeans in the area, European-born diseases and migration to the mainland were likely the main causes for the decline of the Native population in this area. So again, thanks a lot, white men. <laughs> you done screwed it up again. Um, so now we're going to kind of go into the one, the only, Ocracoke Island, which I have been to. Oh, um, okay. It's, yeah, I have. Like, God, I think I was like 16 years old, but loved it. It was fantastic. So Ocracoke is part of the Outer Banks and one of the three islands that I was talking about um, that has a long and wide... Um, Sandy Atlantic Ocean Beach, part of the National Seashore System also. Um, and it's a pretty narrow island with just one village on it. Um, they have a permanent population currently of 973 people. Um, in the summer, it is crowded by tourists. I can attest to that. I'm sure you can too. Um, many of whom come via ferry from Hatteras or Cedar Island. When we went over, we went from Hatteras. Yeah. Um, Ocracoke Island is also home to a small herd of banker ponies uh, that once roamed the island but now must be pinned. Um, some residents of the Outer Banks, known as wreckers, made part of their living. And this is, we're talking like back in the 17, late 1600s, 1700s. Um, they made their living by scavenging wrecked ships or by luring ships to their destruction. Um, wow. They would. I didn't want to like kind of bridge in this too much because of what you're covering, but I hadn't heard of wreckers. Okay. Um, so they, what they would do to lure ships into their destruction is they would put lanterns on horses and have them tied around their necks and they would have the horses walk along the beach. Um, and with the lanterns going up and down in their motion, they would make it appear to ships that they, it was like, it was, clear water and there was a ship yeah. ahead so what would happen is the unsuspecting cap captain would then drive his ship ashore because he's like oh we got clear waters not realizing hey you're getting ready to come on shore following that false light and so the hundreds of shiprock shipwrecks along the outer banks have given that because of that have given the surrounding seas the name or the nickname the graveyard of the atlantic um and there was a special I watched, God, a while back on, like, because of the fact that there's so many freaking shipwrecks, like, right off of there. And it's, like, it's insane. 
if you get a chance sometime, listeners, you ought to look it up. Um, Ocracoke Island um, was not permanently settled by Europeans until 70, 1750, due to it being a pirate haven at times before then. And Ocracoke was also the last refuge of a pirate named Edward Teach, also known as Blackbeard. Which leads us into our story for today by the one and only <laughs> Mr. Pox Holiday. So, wow. I that's was our like, background. I was scared for a minute you were going to tell the story of Blackbeard. Nope, nope, nope. So, that's our background. <laughs> Laying you off into the sunset. <clears throat> well, that was perfect. That was that was perfect. I mean, that was, that, that was wonderful. I might have written that in two hours, by the way. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, so, so, so good. In fact, that there's definitely some things that I, uh, am going to be double dipping on and I'll probably have to edit out, but, um, no, that was great. That was great. No. And you did wonderfully, wonderful in all your pronunciation. It was wonderful. Oh, thank you. <clears throat> Which is one of those, like, I mean, growing up, I mean, you, you mean, you live in an area that's, that's, that's heavily covered with names from Native Americans, and uh, growing up, you know, going out there and, 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 you know, I mean, that was the same thing. I mean, you went to the beach, you know, you went, you went to the beach, you went and, and my family went to Topsail mm-hmm. Island. Oh, I've, I've been by there. I haven't been to it, but I've, I have friends that have been to Topsail. So. Yeah, we'd go there. And I remember we stayed in a place that was literally a brick, two story, six apartment complex brick place that made it through mm-hmm. Hazel which is like the one that everybody talks mm-hmm. about down there, like in 69 or something like that. It made it through that, but it did yeah. not make it through one of the ones in the late 90s, early 2000s. It finally went down. But um, uh. but yeah, it was just crazy, like just being in this like just brick apartment. <laughs> but anyway, all right, well, I'll go ahead and get, get started here then. Because um, I, I really did, the, the, the first thing I have here is the first English settlement in America was established in 1585. Um <laughs> The, the only thing that you didn't, like, the only thing that makes it even creepier, but kind of, like, okay, well, I kind of get it, is that with, where they actually carve the word Croatan oh, into yeah. the wall of the defensive wall. Like, you know, yeah. it, it's, you know, it's got some name to what, what it is, but yeah, but, and Croatan was another island. And so, um, mm-hmm. but I think it, it might was- have also been a tribe. It was, yeah. That was that was another thing, and that's why I think that's why they finally deduced that. Hey, the the settlers of Roanoke Colley said, "Hey, let's just go, you know, yeah, integrate ourselves, like or, come, or come with us." Happened. But yeah, yeah. but yeah, and but I agree. I, I left that. I literally wrote in here. Yeah, that's for another episode of In the Pines. <laughs> so in 1606, King James the First, not LeBron. Darn. Granted a charter to the uh, Virginia Company to establish a colony in America, and by 1606, the Virginia Colony established settlements in Jamestown, um, the first per- permanent English colony in America. Um, now, however, that, like a few years later, they were almost completely wiped out due to uh, indigenous people of the area having an uprising. But that also is for a different story. Jamestown is kind of located up the James River, which is north of modern Newport News, Norfolk, and Virginia Beach. It's kind of where the river and the Chesapeake Bay meet is kind of close to James Jamestown. The James River actually starts in the Appalachian Mountains, and it flows 348 miles to the Chesapeake Bay. 
So yeah, so it does have. There we go. We do have a, at least a little Appalachian, uh, uh, <laughs> little Appalachian in this thing. So right about where Jamestown is, and and where where it kind of comes in, where like Hampton Roads is another area they, that's on there. It's mm-hmm. five miles wide, and mm-hmm. um, but uh, but the closest it gets is twenty five feet deep at a lock near Richmond. Like that's huh. the, like like you said, there's that one super deep area, but yeah. like it's not very deep it, it going into like you said into the Chesapeake. It's like 25 no, it's... feet deep, just a few miles. I mean, like several miles up river, but still. But that that's as close as it gets going down there. And at 25 at the lock at the at the dam, basically. In other words, yeah. people don't know what that is. I also brought up the fact that uh, Jane, uh, that John Smith came in and six around 1608. Mm-hmm. He used he used that area as um, as kind of a, a base camp. And what he would do is he was trying to also find, in addition to gold and silver and all the other things they expected to find, he would also kept thinking that there was a shortcut to the Pacific up there. And so a lot of his trips were actually trying to find, were going through all these brackish water islands, trying to just kind of make it through so you could get to the other side where the Pacific would be, obviously. H- having no clue that there was also a whole continent between him and there. Oh, how <clears throat> wrong he was. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so he just kind of continued to just look around and he just kept, kept searching for wealth and some type of a shortcut. Um, so fast forward a little bit more to 1620, and that's when the Pilgrims famously landed in Massachusetts. Uh, but Can what- I just say real yeah. quick, I was having, when I was doing like my research for the background, I'm like, when the hell did the Pilgrims land? I can't remember when the Pilgrims land. Was <laughs> it the 1500s? Was it 1600s? Like, for some reason, I had a total mental block and could not remember that. <laughs> I, I would not have, if you had asked me, I probably would not have pulled that number out of my head. Um, oh my gosh. But I, I just, I was just like, I just know that like, that's the same time around this story happened, mm-hmm. um, which is in, on top of the pilgrims, there was actually something else happening. And that was when there was a very large migration in 1620 to the Southern tip of the Delmar uh, uh, Peninsula. Um, so there's a, a kind of an area called Accomack County. I believe it's mm-hmm. still, you can still find that on the map. Um, that was where a large group of people, like several ships worth of people from the UK, mainly Brits, uh, some Welsh and some Scottish came there. Um, so, you know, just a bunch of white people. Yeah, um, of course. Um, Engli- <laughs> a bunch <clears throat> of English white people. <laughs> yeah. So now just kind of, I got to kind of lay some track before we get to where we're going. In the 1620s, the Dutch West India Company was in full swing delivering West Africans to the Netherlands and to Spanish strongholds and colonies. Uh, As a reminder, Spain was pretty much the ruler of the world at this time because they had the Armada. The Spanish Mm -hmm. Armada, they had the largest navies in the world. And had established settlements all around the world, and you know, I mean, think about just how much of uh, of of the United States at one point in time belonged to the Spanish. Yeah. So yeah, so so there's there, so they kind of had they, what they would do is they would either establish a colony, make some make a new colony, or they would just crush someone around there and just say, well, now you're a Spanish colony. 
And uh, so they just did that. And, uh, you know, just for effect, I mean, think about the actual word conquistador. <laughs> I don't yeah. think it was a bringer of flowers. No. Uh, I don't remember that on Duolingo. No. Around this time, privateering took off because of war between Portugal and Spain, which resulted in an about uh, this, this, this war in particular because they would they they had several wars. Like if you look up Wikipedia, there's like pay, there's like a solid page of like which one are you talking about mm-hmm. between Spain and, and Portugal. Um, but so there was this long war that took about uh, 550 ships. Mm-hmm. Now not all of those ships were sunk. Some were stolen. Some were ca- some were taken by uh, other other countries. Some were taken by privateers. Um, but anyway, so 550 ships were basically taken up. And in addition to that, any ships that they that um, that Spain or Portugal or some other countries were using to deliver supplies, they were no longer using those. So they needed to basically bring in, you know, kind of uh, uh, subcontractors to think of it. Um, so privateers, um, you know, the straight up definition is a privateer is a private ship or person who engages in maritime warfare under a commission of war. So plain language, if you had a ship and you had a crew. You could work for a country for money, but they didn't claim you as theirs, kind of like the A-team. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I could think of was like, that's kind of like the A-team. Yeah, uh, we don't claim you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The other way I thought about them was like, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that show. I didn't watch it very much, but uh, I saw a couple of episodes like that, that show where people have to like haul cars and they've got to like get their next haul from here to there and they, they've got like a truck and they haul you oh. know whatever and then they bet like they, they literally are just like well i'll i'll undercut this guy i'll do it for 50 dollars less yeah. than him and all that kind of stuff that's kind of the same way if you think about this i mean they've they've got to they've got to go one way they don't want to go the other way empty yeah and so unfortunately in this situation the big deal was sugar and this is something I did not know. So sugar had gotten to South America and and into the Caribbean. Uh, actually, I believe uh, they they actually credit quote unquote credit. Uh, oh, what's this fuck? <laughs> Christopher Col- <laughs> Christopher this Columbus. Fuck? Oh yeah, that asshole. Christopher Columbus. He basically kind of like spread sugar, mm-hmm. like cane sugar, yeah, and uh, <clears throat> spread that around the Caribbean and around the you know Central America and that kind of thing. So anyway, so that became actually the driving force behind the transatlantic slave trade. <coughs> Sorry. Before the before the colonies were using slaves for uh, tobacco and cotton. It was sugar. And I don't know about you, but growing up in the South, I was basically just told about cotton and tobacco. That was really basically what I was told. I actually, surprisingly, did learn about the link with sugar here. Okay. I don't know. Maybe I I did. I just didn't pay attention, but I don't remember it much. I can, well, I can remember like in, God, I want to say history, but it was like more like social studies class in elementary. Of course, I had some really awesome elementary school teachers, too, so shout out to them. I can remember learning about that whole kind of trade system and stuff, so. Yeah. So, yeah, I I, I don't remember it. I don't remember it being a big thing that I that I was told about, but, yeah, anyway. Um, I, I, 
or or if they did, they acted like it, it was kind of over there. Like it wasn't us. It was yeah. them. Yeah. And uh, you know, you have no clue where the Caribbean is when you're <laughs> twelve. <laughs> you're like, where's that? <laughs> like, okay, all right, that 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 sounds far. Another thing to kind of keep in mind whenever you hear the words Dutch West India Company or even the East India Company. You can kind of think of them as either like the Pinkertons or a modern or like a modern reference would be the Pinkertons, but a, a, a more modern reference would be like Halliburton. I love that they're kind every, of every time they're you kind s- of like every time you say like Dutch Dutch West India Company or India Company, my face does this. I go, <laughs> like, yeah, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because really, basically, like w- what I what I meant by they're like you know, the Pinkertons or Halliburton, they'll they'll pretty much bend to whatever the market is, and they'll they'll change their mar- they'll change their 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 business model mm-hmm. based on whatever they can make the most money on, and so in this case, it was slavery. Yeah, um, the East India Company was much more successful than the West India Company because it actually had a spice, silk, indigo slave trading and actually one of the largest things for the East India Company was saltpeter. Really? Um which is yeah because it's for gunpowder. Yeah. So it was one of the big things for that. So that was one of the big big trades. So really when you think about it <clears throat> I'm not defending that the West India Company I'm just saying that they were dealing with a new world and they didn't have like established markets or like wide scale trading at that point in time. So they literally were just dealing with sugar and slavery for the most part. Let's see. So as the war died down between Spain and Portugal, the need for privateers was reduced. Um, There is no longer a strong demand for their services. So captains of ships with crews turned to the next best thing that they could do. Piracy. Hey, you know, kind of like uh, someone that got laid off from a job at Golden Corral in April 2020, and now their 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 whole biz their business model or their lifestyle is based around stealing entire shells worth of you know deodorant from Target. <laughs> um, I don't know if you've seen those videos or not, but boy, yeah, no. hey, no. oh yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they they've had to put up new things to to sell. Like they had to put up like blockers, so you literally can't walk next to a shelf with a cart and just slide everything into the cart. Oh They've had gosh. to put up barriers now. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So that's why they have all the barriers at stores now. Yeah. Those plastic slide oh my things God, that I go back and forth. That. It's literally because yeah, someone will stick out their arm and dry, you know, and just roll with a cart next to it and slide everything into it and walk out because nobody's stopping these people anymore. Oh my so, God. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are you going to do for, for 14 bucks an hour? You're going to stop a guy who might have a gun. No, no, over 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 axe body spray <laughs> dove deodorant <laughs> you imagine dying because of old spice oh, I'd be oh so jesus <laughs> uh so but anyway but like obviously obviously like piracy has been around for a while but um what was so inviting was there were so many of these new villages and these colonists that knew nothing about living where they were living were popping up all over the atlantic coastline and besides most of these people who were these privateers had already been working in this area. So they knew these, they knew the coastline up and down. They knew where they could slip in and get in or, 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 you know, how they could approach. And so this pretty much ushered in this, this, this large quote unquote unemployment rate and a glut of ships and crews. It pretty much ushered in the quote unquote 
golden age of piracy in North America. Hey. Mm. Heck so yeah. here we are. Pirate life in the 1600s and the early mid 1700s was often a dangerous and unpredictable one filled with adventure, riches and a fair share of hardship. Some of this stuff I've read directly off. I've got all my sources. <laughs> um, I've got all my sources in the bottom. But uh, but anyway, so like pirate life was typically rough. Uh, often like people were illiterate. And they didn't have any other way to do it except just to use their bodies to make money. So they were just they were they thought, well, if I go over there, I've got a better chance of finding riches than living here in this in this town. Um, so they took to took to the seas, and you know everybody always was being sold on it's much better over there. The grass is always greener, kind of thing. But um, so just for people who maybe not is familiar with some pirates. Uh, some of the most fi- famous pirates of that era are, uh, Henry Avery, who also went by the name Henry Every, E-V-E-R-Y. Uh, William Kidd, K-I-D-D. He was also known as Captain Kidd. And, uh, John Rackham, R-A-C-K-H-A-M, Rackham. Um, that was actually Calico Jack. Okay people have heard of heard of him before i can't remember if he's been in a pirates of the caribbean movie or not not to be confused with baltimore jack <laughs> no no and not to be confused with the pirates of the caribbean as <laughs> oh, i should God. be calling it yeah. <laughs> uh here's some other ships uh henry every ship was called fancy captain kid's ship was adventure galley <laughs> And uh, Calico's ship uh, was the Revenge, but uh, one thing that Calico Jack was famous for was he actually had uh, two female uh, members of his crew. Nice. One was his like wife slash lover, whatever you want to call her, mm-hmm. and the other one, I'm not even shitting you, was disguised as a man. Nice. So it's a it's a real thing. It's one of those tropes you've seen on like things all yeah. the time of like the woman that just pretends to pretend to be the man. It's a real thing. Calico Jack. That really actually happened. I think that's a character on uh, our uh, flag means we, death. Our flag means death. It is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know because I mean I don't think it's on Calico Jacks, but I mean that, that's the same kind of thing. No. But but literally, um, <laughs> as soon as you said the one ship was named Fancy, my brain immediately went to Reba McIntyre. Dressed up as a male pirate on that ship, and then at midnight she would go out on the deck and start singing "Fancy." <laughs> it was like, was on my name." <laughs> during the, during the day, she would dress like the colonel. Yeah, but then at night she just goes out on the deck and like is decked out in like lace and sequins and starts singing "Fancy" on "Fancy." Oh God. Anyways, I'm deleting. Well, I'm I'm gonna tell you about another pirate. And uh, it's probably one that most people don't know unless people really it's probably really just people who really like pirates or people who are from that area of uh, of, of the world. But we're going to talk about Roger Michael. Okay. Uh, his last name is spelled a million different ways. I've seen it. Mike. M-I-C-H-E-E-L. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's like said Roger Michael mm-hmm. is how it's going to be said. <clears throat> Um, I will go ahead and tell you right now that the name Roger is just ironic with Jolly Roger has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Um, so if anybody's waiting for the Jolly Roger reveal, ain't going to happen. <laughs> so uh, Roger Michael was born uh, around 1644, most likely in Graft, Holland. He came to Southern Virginia as a teenager 
He states his age is 19 in his first appearance in a Northampton court record of 1663. First being the key word there. Yeah. That, that's another thing about this story and about this area. A lot of their history is told through the court records. Yeah. They were very litigious. Mm-hmm. And they, since they had, you know, just land for days, they would sue each other for hundreds of pounds of tobacco because mm-hmm. they were all growing tobacco. And, uh, so a lot of these court records are like, this guy sued this guy for 15 pounds of tobacco. All right. They settled for five pounds of tobacco. And it's just, it just sounds like, you know, like, uh, like just, it was, a, it was just a tobacco market. But and anyway, uh, like I, I like, I like to say like, you know, like they had fuck you tobacco money basically. <laughs> and I will say this too. Uh, so speaking of that, as somebody who history is my ish and, you know, undergrad and everything, like when you go that far back and trying to do research and stuff, that's pretty much all you can find is court records because there yeah. weren't a lot of firsthand accounts, um, like primary sources and all that when you're trying yeah. to dig up. stuff. there's some, don't get me wrong, but yeah, the majority of what you're going to find if you're trying to do research in general for that time period is court records. And you just kind of have to piece it together from there. It's, it's super yeah. interesting because literally everybody would sue everybody for like pretty much anything, but it's, it's really interesting to see like some of the court cases and things of that nature. Oh yeah. So, um, so there, there's no documentation of Roger Michael arriving or him being indentured. Mm-hmm. Um, so that means one of a couple of things. Somehow his passage was covered. Mm-hmm. If he was, if he was, you know, 19 by the time he arrived, or 19 by the time he committed his first offense, being there. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Either he came from money or he was able to pay for it somehow. Maybe like, a you know, someone had died or something like that. Mm-hmm. The other thing that people say is that he might have actually been a child of someone who was related to someone who, who actually brought the ship there. Mm-hmm. Like he was either related to the captain um, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of speculation about like if he had brothers mm-hmm. and the other thing is, is that <clears throat> a lot of pirates would not use their real name because they wouldn't want to sully their family's name. And so they would change their name completely. So there's a chance that his, you know, that Roger Michael isn't even his real name. And so, because there's a couple of other Michael brothers that arrive there and, and, and anyway, so, yeah. so they're not, so in other words, nobody has any idea how old he is or anything like that or, or, or how he got there. I'm going to say um, he was a spoiled little rich boy. <laughs> That's all. And he was prob- like, probably so. no father, there, I'm going to become a pirate. <laughs> yeah. There's a, there's a good chance. There's yeah. a good chance. Um, so, yeah, so, yeah, he was either disowned or changed his last name, something like that. But, uh, so, yeah, he first appears in the court, appears in the court records on May 22nd, 1663, when he was fined 50 pounds of tobacco for breaking the Sabbath. Um, this is when he gave his age as 19. Mm-hmm. Roger Michael, later in life, he tried to take advantage of a rule about if a, mi- if a minor is orphaned, and he is 
a, a male who is set to inherit land or property of some kind, rightfully that child or that minor can't take hold of the property until they're no longer considered a minor at that point in time that was 16. Mm-hmm. So they pretty much had to get a guardian of some kind to help them, you know, over their land and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, guess who decided that uh, this one orphan whose family had is his parent his last parent had just passed away and was set to uh, inherit hundreds of acres of land. Maybe even, I mean, I, I can't remember. It was, it was like many hundreds. Um, he was set to earn all, the, he was set to, to, to get all this land. Well, um, he didn't have a male relative that he could go live with. So the friendly Roger, uh, pirate Roger Michael mm-hmm. offered up his services. And so he was actually became this young man's guardian. Okay. And so they they had rules back then where you know even back even back in the 1620s they had rules where you had to properly feed, clothe, house, and educate your child. Meaning they you had to, and I don't know if that meant they had to go to a collective education thing or you were required to educate them in some way. <laughs> current well, current yeah. West Virginia legislature, please take note <laughs> since you're passing bills. anyways. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah. So he winds up doing this whole thing where you know he just is. So, so you know, it turns out that having a, a an alcoholic pirate for a guardian isn't a isn't a fast way to get to an education. So <laughs> that's what winds up happening is the 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 the, the young man winds up actually emancipating himself mm-hmm. from Roger Michael and convinces the court that like basically like. Either his sister or his aunt or somebody like that. Like he basically had one remaining relative and it was a female Mm -hmm. and that wasn't allowed. And so he petitioned the court to get away from Roger Michael. And actually uh, the court was like, okay, we guess you can go live with this woman. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, just that that's what it seems like was, was, was the big battle. Um, So anyway, so, so so that so basically he was just whatever he lost out on hundreds of acres that he was probably going to try and steal somehow. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so later, so at some point in time that a lot, you know, like you said, a lot of this stuff doesn't have doesn't have dates on it. Mm-hmm. Um. So he, he was married to a woman named Mary Watson, and that ended whenever Roger Michael left for Jamaica, which was pretty much where every pirate went at this point in time in history. Like that was the hotbed of piracy, the Caribbean. Mm-hmm. There were so many islands people could hide out on and and you know, that the governors of 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 the Caribbean were pretty lax and lenient uh, against pirates at that point in time because more than likely they were getting kickbacks on everything. Oh, heck yeah. And so, you know, they, they would let them stay there and they could hang out and do whatever they wanted to while they hung out. Well, so Roger Michael fell in love with the pirate life so much that he actually married an 18 year old Jamaican girl who maybe he married. Maybe he didn't marry her. Okay. She might have been black. She might not have been. It just depends on what story you read. Okay. Um, so there's there's confusion about her. So anyway, um, there's another confusion. There's one that says that 
he and Mary signed basically papers of separation before he left for Jamaica. Mm -hmm. There's also a story that he just left. And from what I gathered, they, they pretty much said like after a year of him being gone, it was like, all right, he's dead. Yeah. That he's gone, whatever. He, He just took off to begin with. We don't know what's going on. He's gone. He's dead. Um, my hypothesis or my, my thought on all this is that everyone there, uh, he was in the court so many times, people hated him that they were pretty much like, yeah, 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 yeah. He's dead, Mary. Go ahead. You're good. <laughs> you're good. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're good. Um, so yeah, well this cockroach shows back her up, man. And, uh, he's got this woman with him. Oh, and so like, I, I don't really, so the, the, again, there's some confusion and, and about like what her deal was, mm-hmm. but anyway, so, you know, that, that puts them in trouble with the community. I think they kind of were like, I can't believe you came back here with a woman after you left this other woman here or whatever. And, and, uh, anyway, so one of his servants came forward and said that he was, um, he witnessed Roger Michael give birth to oh help his help this woman that he brought back with him mm-hmm. help her give birth to a child okay and then another servant who was questioned also confirmed it and so this was again trouble for him so i'm guessing my 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 inclination is that she's black yeah or she's not white should i say yeah um, and that, that troubles a whole bunch of white people or I don't know. But so that basically made a lot of people mad. And then later after he was going through all this, you know, s- struggle, he was being sued for, uh, like 1700 pounds or something like that of tobacco, mm-hmm. which he, you know, he hadn't worked his fields in forever. And so he didn't know what the hell was going on. Uh, not not blaming. I'm not you know pardoning him. I'm just saying you know he 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 was like what you know. So then it turns out that under pressure the the person said no. Nah, I just kind of did that to embarrass him. And <laughs> the uh, and the other and the other person who said that they're like yeah. I just kind of went along with it to get, get, to make sure he was embarrassed. <laughs> so he pretty much like took off. Mm-hmm. His property was sold for 1,800 pounds of tobacco to pay off this woman who he owed 1,700 pounds to mm-hmm. and court fees or whatever. I don't know. But it, yeah, so the land was sold for 1,800 pounds of tobacco. But he didn't leave. Basically, what he did was he joined this group of picaroons mm-hmm. or pirates and uh, that were in the Chesapeake Bay. And what they did was they had smaller ships the smaller ships allow them to kind of cruise up and down the coastline out of reach of the larger British Navy mm-hmm. ships. Pretty much everybody had large cargo ships at that point in time. Not as many people had what they called sloops. S L O O P S. Now there's a, there's confusion against sloops and sloops of uh, sloops of war. Mm-hmm. Um, what these guys had are sloops, which are tend to be just like single mast boats. Whereas a sloop of war is a is a is a smaller warship, but it tends to have more than one mast to it. Mm-hmm. So they would hang out like in the in the shallow area and 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 hit like communities. Yeah. So like, would a sloop kind of be like a schooner then, or something? I'm assuming. Yes, I, I don't. I don't know. It's it. It just sounds like a smaller. It, it, the, the the one thing I gather is it doesn't need as much 
uh, and I and I cannot remember. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's a very shallow boat. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. So it can get into shallow waters and and, and can get away from the larger ships. And so, um, so basically, what he did was he just pretty much stuck around that area, and then the again the law the the lawyers the governors of the colonies who were under the king at that point in time mm-hmm. they were kind of again lenient against most pirates because they were getting kickbacks mm-hmm. and whenever it would you know whenever the, the the people would get mad at them then all of a sudden they would all of a sudden like okay we got it we got to take this down we got it we got to take care of these pirates they'd take care of one or two pirates none of the big ones and they make a big show of it, and then it would kind of calm down a little bit, and then it'd kind of flare back up. And so that's kind of when, like, like a lot of times in the history books you'll, or history, whatever, you read them say, like, the governors were hot and cold to pirates. And it's like, well, I think they were hot to the ones that were giving them shit and mm-hmm. cold to the ones that were just taken. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, so they, they, they could stay close to the shore, and but one of their big things was... They actually would attack not just colonists, but they would also attack Native Americans. Mm. So nobody liked them. Yeah. So they were kind of making a lot of people angry at that point in time. On January 20th, 1684, a ship laden with 20,000 pounds of tobacco had left port on Maryland's eastern shore bound for the Chesapeake. As the night fell, the small ship and her crew decided to spend the night on the leeward side of Watts Island which was located uh, of Upper Appomattox County. Mm-hmm. Accomack County, excuse me. This was a big mistake because Watts Island was a base operations for Roger Michael. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, the ship was instantly seized, all the tobacco stolen, and the crew was taken off the boat. And so Roger's crew held the beach, uh, uh, the, the, the crew of the ship, which is held on the beach while Roger and the rest of his men feasted on mutton and turkey and brandy and rum. Oh, God. <laughs> which they had just stolen off this ship from this, from the ship that had like just left port. So that was just full of everything. Nice. So they took all that stuff. So two days later, um, they just like tied these guys up and wouldn't let them leave the, leave the beach. <laughs> And so they were just like uh, super, super hungry. They were all tied up. They were, they were just so. Then um, Roger Michael took them to a to an island, dropped them off on the island, made them take off all their clothes, took all their clothes, and took off. And it was like a real marshy island, so they could actually get to land, but it was like a long, like trek through the marsh, and it was actually January. So it was super cold. Total dick move. <laughs> yeah. So even though it was January, everybody made it through. Nobody died. Um, they were all able to make like various ways to safety, naked uh, and afraid. But, um, so, <laughs> That's where Mom Brain went to. Naked yeah, and afraid. Exactly. <laughs> So he, uh, so his raids had just begun. He he would he would stick to both sides of the bay, uh, Maryland, Virginia, and pretty much just cause fear among citizens because he was just not afraid to attack anybody. Mm-hmm. And he had you know amassed like a small crew of people that were pretty that were that were close to the close to the close to the um, close to shore at all times with their little small boats. So, uh, so finally, at the at the point when the panic was starting to set in with the with the people, they were like, "Okay, that's it. He's got to go." And so the governor was like, "Okay, we're we're gonna go ahead." And they, 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 as they said, they put a concerted effort together to get rid of him. 
Well, he wasn't impressed because, like, they, again, they didn't really do anything special. They just kind of sent out these big ships that he could easily get away from. North Carolina was kind of sympathetic to pirates at this time. Oh. The governor actually lived, well, I'm not sure about this time, but um, at one point in time, the go- like, because they ba- mainly lived, like, you know, close to the shore. They mm-hmm. hadn't moved in that far yet. So, you know, at one point in time, the, 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 the capital of North Carolina was on the coast in, in New Bern, North Carolina, mm-hmm. um, and then eventually moved to Raleigh, which honestly is a story that it's, it's, it's a story. It's, it's an amazing story how Raleigh became what it became. It, it was not a city when it was, t- when it was called, the, when it was named the capital. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. It was, it was blueprints. Oh, wow. So anyway, so they, they, they go down to North Carolina. The North Carolina governor was like, okay, same kind of thing. Sometimes he'd put his foot down. Sometimes he wouldn't. Um, so at this point in time, it turned out that Roger Michael, he went down to the point when the foot was coming down. And so the governor reported that at one point in time, some pilfering pirates had been captured and the, quote, chiefest of them all had been executed (laughs) so uh it turns out roger michael had met his fate at the age of 42 um having more experiences in his life than men twice his age as it says here in his final court appearance he was spoken of as quote one roger michael a known pirate and robber on that date roger michael was to pay mrs Devereux brown 1700 pounds of tobacco and the court charges so i guess that's where the 1800 went Mm -hmm. so Okay, so well, that that was that was Roger Michael. Now it's time for background information again. <laughs> hey. So from 1701 to 713, there's this little thing called Queen Anne's War. Uh, yes. I'll just put it this way: <laughs> like there were so many things that happened with Queen Anne's War, and it's like the Queen Anne the first, I believe, from from mm. Britain. Um, okay. Um. So uh, let's just I I I put it in like five bullet points here one spanish florida and the english province of carolina attack one another um, okay. that happens english colonists fight french colonists at a fort near modern day mobile alabama okay then in new england english colonists and indigenous allies fought against french colonists colonists and their indigenous allies over an unsettled border frontier with canada um, this okay. was a point in time when Quebec City was repeatedly targeted by British colonial expeditions. Okay. So then there was a battle for Newfoundland. Um, that happened. Um, I literally wrote blah, blah, <laughs> blah behind that. I mean, it was like, it was like, there, there was like a whole thing, like, you know, there's a battle for Newfoundland, blah, blah, blah. Um, <laughs> let's see. Then French privateers in Acadia captured many of New England's shipping and fishing ships, only to lose Acadia to the British, ultimately. Um, So, um, when we were talking earlier about pirates and pirate ships, I left out one very famous pirate ship. Okay. La Concorde. Okay. Right, nobody remembers La Concorde, but hold on a second. (laughs) So, La Concorde was built around 710 in the French port of Nantes. I uh, probably said that wrong. Was yeah. owned by a merchant named René Montaudon, who initially used the ship for privateering during the War of Spanish Succession. In 713, as the war ended, he converted the three-masted ship 
for moving enslaved Africans from their homelands in the, uh, to the Caribbean islands and to uh, colonial America to work as laborers in the sugar plantations. So this was known as the Triangle of Trade. European merchants traveled to the coast of Africa to trade goods for slaves, then took slaves to the New World, and then returned to Europe with goods. Um, you know, sugar and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. This was something that basically took place for 300 years. Holy shit balls. Yeah. So, back to La Concorde. Um, on its third voyage as a slave trade ship in November 1717, La Concorde was captured by pirates and its crew near the island of Martinique in the Caribbean. The French captain and his crew put up little resistance because they were depleted in numbers from sickness and death. Oh. So they weren't doing so well whenever they were attacked by, a pi- by pirates. Um, so it was a very easy catch for the pirate captain who retained 10 of the healthy crew members who knew how to run the ship. Mm-hmm. And then he set the remainder free. For the most part, he let most of the Africans free um, there in, in, in the Caribbean and, uh, and didn't, didn't keep any. He didn't keep slaves, in other words. Gotcha. For the next six months, this vessel uh, served as the flagship of Captain Thatch as he continued to raid the shipping lanes of the Atlantic coastline. I know, I know what you're thinking. It was Edward Teach. <laughs> but there's actually evidence now that his last name was Thatch. Really? Yeah. Huh. Pirates, so again, like I said before, pirates habitually use fictitious surnames while engaged in piracy so as not to tarnish the family name which makes it very unlikely that we will ever know Edward Teach or Edward Thatch's real name, but it doesn't matter because from now on, we're going to call him Blackbeard. Heck yeah! Blackbeard was one of the most notorious pirate captains of the early 18th century. He was most likely born in Bristol, England in 1680. Bristol was an important seaport at this point, so Blackbeard would have grown up around ships. Okay. And I didn't know this, but uh, Bristol was actually the second largest city in England at the time. So it was a very large city. He would have interacted with many people from around the world at that point in time if he had grown up in, a, in you know one of the most important seaports in, in all of the UK. Mm-hmm. Blackbeard was tall with broad sh- shoulders. He wore knee-length boots and dark clothing. He topped with a wide hat and sometimes a long coat of brightly colored silk or velvet. Hell yeah. <laughs> he was described in times of battle as wearing a sling over his shoulders with three brace of pistols hanging in holsters like bandoliers and stuck lighted slow matches under his hat. The latter apparently to emphasize the fearsome appearance he wished to, uh, to present to his enemies. Mm. All right. This comes up a lot. Mm-hmm. The way I envision Blackbeard, like, we all know that person who shaves damn near up to their eyeballs. Mm -hmm. Like, we all know that one guy who's hairy. Yeah. So it it really sounds like Blackbeard had, like, one of those real high up beards. Yeah, that was, like, way up on the cheeks. Yeah. And just let it go. And it just, it just, and just let it go. As a child, I even remember, I remember hearing that what he would do is he would actually use, like, melted wax. And would wax candles into his beard. Uh-huh. So the wicks would be out on the sides of his mustache and out on his beard. And, and, I, I, and, and so through, through all of this, there are probably 10 different explanations mm-hmm. of what this happened. But no matter what, 
you know, it's kind of like every religion has a flood story. <laughs> yeah. Every black every Blackbeard story has a smoke coming from his head story. Yeah. So obviously it happened more than once, and and obviously people told the story, and it kind of you know played a game of telephone, and it turned into whatever. But so there were stories where he actually would weave hemp into his uh, beard, mm-hmm. and then twist the hemp up. And burn that, and almost like a sage, like like a like a smudge, mm-hmm. and it would just smoke. Um, the other story was that he kind of wore a, he wore a tricorn cap, yeah, and that he would hang candles off of that. Um, the other story was that he had like long stick matches that were slow burning matches that he would stick out from his hat. <clears throat> but no matter what, he had either <clears throat> he had he definitely had smoke. Mm-hmm. And sometimes he had flame coming at you whenever his ship butted up against yours and they boarded. Nice. I, I, I'm kind of getting ahead of what uh, of some, some part in here, but just to kind of go with like his, his attack style. Mm-hmm. One of his ships of many that he had, they found part of it at, uh, at the bottom of this one inlet in North Carolina. Since 1996, when they found it, they've been excavating it very slowly. Mm-hmm. In 2011, they found this cache of weapons, mm-hmm. and what they figured out what it was was he had Im- improvised explosive devices. He had IEDs. Oh wow! He had created his own grenades. He created bottles filled with gunpowder, with fuses on the end of them. And so, basically, what they gathered from it was that he would throw those onto the decks of ships. Damn. Yeah. And then he had some type of uh, some type of projectile missile. Mm-hmm. We'll go into that later. I'm getting I'm getting way ahead of myself. There's just so much of this stuff with him. Can I just say real quick when you were like describing him and stuff? So I have you watched Our Flag Means Death? I've seen I've seen the first like two episodes. It's yeah. so good. It is. Yeah. Really, it's a, such a good series, and I can't wait for season two to come out. Anyways, the whole time I'm like because my brain is going to. Taika Waititi's version of Blackbeard, yeah. and I'm just like, I really hope he looks like Taika Waititi. <laughs> like, but there's <laughs> when you're talking about the smoke, like the flames and the smoke and whatever. Yeah, there's a portion like there's I think the first two episodes because I I don't think he actually shows up until like episode two deep into it, but like there's like one of the crewmates on the one ship that's like pretty much worships Blackbeard and like has a picture that's been drawn of him and stuff. And it's like, they make it an animated picture of course for the show. Oh, that's right. He does show up. And, doesn't? Yeah, yeah. It's okay. And so like, um, on the picture, it shows like smoke billowing from his face area and all that. And I'm like, I can totally picture what you're talking about, <laughs> but yeah, no, I just hope it's like, I hope that he looked like Taika Waititi's version of Blackbeard because that would be awesome. <laughs> so anyway. <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I have like some like Jason Momoa, but like not quite as thick as Jason Momoa yeah. kind of style guy. Like, Taika Waititi. Like, almo- <laughs> or, or, or almost like uh Daniel Plainview from uh, there, there will be blood. Yeah. Um, like, you know, uh, what's his name from that? I can't remember his name right now. I've, I'm Daniel Day-Lewis, on the actor. right? Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Almost like, like, that's kind of how I picture yeah. him. Like, like, a, like a big as hell Daniel Day-Lewis jumping onto your boat with a, with, with a face full of fire of and smoke, yeah. <laughs> throwing, throwing a grenade in 1717 at you. Yeah. So anyways, <laughs> in other words, watch 
our flag means death because it's it's hilarious and it's fantastic. So it's possible that he arrived in the Caribbean on a merchant or a slave ship and he worked as a sailor or around around that area of, of, of sailing. There's also there's also evidence that he worked on privateer ships during the War of Spanish Succession and quote often distinguished himself for uncommon boldness and personal courage. Blackbeard joined Captain Benjamin Hornigold, a well-known pirate at the time, and was placed in charge of a sloop Hornigold had stolen. So at, at one point in time, they were, they were heading towards the shore, and they came across this boat that happened to be carrying 120 barrels of flour, which must have been like finding gold at that point in time, to find 120 barrels of flour. And, uh, you know, he had a lot of people that worked for him. I mean, I think I talk about it later in here, but he had around at the at, at peak Blackbeard, 300 pirates working under him. Holy cow. Yeah. Yeah. And so enough ships to, to, to you know, he had at least four ships. Yeah. And then some very small, like, like, like two very large ships and a, like, like several sloops. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so anyway, they find, they find 120 barrels of flour. Which was like, wow, we we we, we strike, we we found gold. Well, heck yeah, back and then, then a little while later, they came across another ship that I believe was coming from Spain that had Madeira wine oh, on board. Oh snap! <laughs> they found a hundred barrels of wine after they got this taste for this. It's it's called M A D E I R A Madeira wine. That's what I'm going to say it is. I've heard of it before. Um, <clears throat> they got a taste for it, and they really liked it. And so they started searching out ships that were coming from that area. <laughs> or <laughs> they're like, "Fuck rum, let's get the Madeira wine. This shit's good." Yeah. There's there's this story about them um, finding one of those ships. They hopped on board and they ran around and they found the wine, and that's the only thing they took off the ship. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> they invaded a ship and just took its wine. They didn't take anything else that the ship had. They're like, carry on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hornigold decided it was time for him to retire because what one thing that was happening was uh, there was kind of an unspoken thing between pirates and the English at that time because the English weren't coming down very hard on them and because they were allowing British ships to go back and forth mm -hmm. and they weren't invading British ships that flew the Union Jack or whatever, especially the military because the military had plenty of like payloads on their thing and they were like, man, if we could get those guys, we'd be set. Well, Hornigold had a policy of only attacking enemies mm -hmm. and so he would never allow them to attack English naval vessels. So basically he was kind of like... It wasn't a mutiny, but he was pretty much demoted by his men. Yeah. There are conflicting reports that Blackbeard decided that this needed to happen. And there are other reports that Blackbeard was like, I'm staying out of this. Yeah. Hornigold was like, basically like, you know what? I've been doing this a while. It's time for me to retire. So he left Blackbeard with two of the four ships. So I don't know. We never went. Did we ever talk about the fact that like the La Concorde became the Queen Anne's Revenge? No. Yeah. That is the name of Blackbeard's ship is the Queen Anne's Revenge. Oh, okay. So Queen Anne's War. And, and I believe that the, the ship might have been called the Revenge at one point in time. Mm -hmm. And so it's the Queen Anne's Revenge is the name of Blackbeard's ship. Hornigold and Blackbeard would never meet again. Oh. Yeah. After that. On September 5th, 1717, King George I, all hail the king of Great Britain, issued the, quote, proclamation for suppressing of pirates, 
granting a full pardon of all crimes to pirates who surrendered themselves to any governor in the colonies within the next year. On or after September 6, 1718, any pirate who neglected or refused to surrender was fair game for capture and trial. That year kind of loomed over pirates because what was happening was at this point now, English ships are like, no, we're not going over there because they're attacking us. They weren't attacking us before, but now they're even attacking the Navy. Yeah. So, no, we're not going back. We're, we're, you know, so it reduced, like, sh- shipments and all that kind of stuff really kind of started to decimate the colonies. Mm-hmm. And so they were like, okay, look, we got to put a stop to this. So the what they did was they gave... Um, 200 pounds for captains if they turned themselves in, which at that point in time was $40,000. Oh, wow. Not bad. Yeah, to turn yourself in for 40 grand. Back then, um, probably literally live like a king. Yeah. They also said, so if you actually get captured after, you know, in 1718, if you get captured, it's 20 to 100 pounds for the capture assistance of any pirate or uh, captain. So pretty good money. So pretty much they knew they were going to be hunted down mm-hmm. for 20 to a hundred dollars a head. And so a lot of, a lot of famous people, a lot of famous pirates wound up turning themselves in, but it was one of those where like they turned themselves in, they got pardoned, but like, well, we'll go into that later. Yeah. So this didn't stop Blackbeard. He continued to operate in the Caribbean along the East Coast and uh, basically, you know, dotting along the American colonies. There are claims that he had up to 14 wives, most of them common law, but documentation is lacking. So <laughs> it might just be a story, but uh, it sounds like he was married and then he would just leave kind of of like a roger michael thing but several times yeah we mentioned here again that blackbeard often fought or simply showed himself wearing a big feathered tricorn hat and having multiple swords knives and pistols at his disposal here's a description of blackbeard uh that became ingrained in the minds of colonists that was made by captain charles johnson captain teach hey Hey. assumed the (laughs) assumed the congo men of blackbeard from that large quantity of hair, which was black, which he, which he suffered to grow at an extravagant length. As to breadth, it came up to his eyes. He was accustomed to twist it with ribbons and small tails. In time of action, he wore a sling over his shoulders with three brace of pistols hanging like holsters like bandoliers and struck lighted matches under his hat. Again, another, another description of him there. Uh, so there are some things that you read as you go along and learn about Blackbeard where you're like, oh, well, they just used that in Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> one of the stories is that he claims to have... Sh- he, uh, one tale, he, 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 he shot his own first mate saying, if he didn't shoot one or two crewmen now and then, they'd forget who he was. I'm like, I feel like I've seen that. <laughs> that, was, that, definitely, that definitely happened in, uh, in, in, in Goodfellas. <laughs> Having had too much to drink, he said to his crew, come... Let us make a hell of our own and try how long we can bear it. Nobody knew what he was talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Blackbeard had headquarters in both Bahamas and the Carolinas. He lived on the island of Nassau, where he was named the magistrate of the, quote, Privateer's Republic. And uh, (laughs) this is when the point where he commanded four vessels and 300 pirates. So on April 12, 1718, Blackbeard made a dramatic show of ferocity and tenacity as he climbed the ranks of legendary pirates. The story goes back a couple of weeks before the the end of it because in late March of that that year, Captain William Wire of the ship 
Protestant Caesar of Boston encountered a small pirate sloop with 10 guns and about 50 pirates near present-day Roatan, Honduras. In the cover of night, the sloop pulled alongside Protestant Caesar, and the two exchanged several volleys. The pirates called the Wire's crew to cease fire, or they would give no quarter. But the fighting continued for hours until Wire was able to get away. A week later near Belize, Blackbeard captured the Land of Promises, uh, captained by Thomas Newton with a pirate ship of 40 guns and about 300 men and a sloop of 10 guns. Newton's report of his capture to the Boston uh, letter bore some interesting news. So so basically this was reported in an actual newspaper that he was captured. Newton said the captain teach informed informed him that his pirate fleet intended to sail to the Bay of Honduras to burn Protestant Caesar so that Captain Wire would not brag of besting a pirate he once returned to New England. So they were kind of like, okay, well, they they ran into this guy. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Well, the same newspaper three days later said, as the crew of the Protestant Caesar loaded their ship with log, uh, logwood, five vessels came into view, a large ship and a sloop bearing black flags and death heads and three more sloops with bloody flags, recognizing a pirate ship fleet of p- approaching. Captain Wire sent a scout to ascertain who, and when it was reported to be Blackbeard and his Queen Anne's revenge, along with the sloop they had previously fought, all of Wire's crew abandoned ship, fearing they would be slaughtered. (laughs) Three days later, on April 11th, Blackbeard invited Captain Wire aboard Queen Anne's revenge, promising he would do him no harm. Uh... Believing the fight for the fierce pirate captain, Wire obliged. Blackbeard informed Wire that had they not abandoned their ship, the crew would have been paid would have paid dearly for their fighting with the pirates the weeks before. He then announced he would burn any ship of New England he captured. The next day, the pirates boarded the Protestant Caesar and set the ship and all of its cargo ablaze. Nice. <laughs> that just sounds like so freaking metal. It's like like just it all sounds so metal. Here's what's going to happen. I'm going to do it, and you're going to suffer. And the yeah. next thing you know, that's what happened. Did exactly what he said there. And I can hear, like, death metal in the background going, <laughs> like. So here, here's that explanation of the 2011 exploration off the coast of North Carolina. There were three conglomerates consists mainly of lead shot, nails, and glass. And what they did was they would put those into bags and fire those from cannons. So it was just like he just fired shrap a bag of shrapnel yeah, at you, essentially, out Jeez. of a cannon. But yeah, yeah. And so then the other thing that he would do is, um, so from this shit that they found, there were twenty four cannons from the wreckage, and five of them have been professionally cleaned. Four of them uh, were loaded, and so. You know, like like I said, they would pull up next to boats mm-hmm. and and fire that way. You know, a lot of people think of like the like the long range like cannons, but they kind of would come up next to one another and fight pretty close range. So one of these cannons was loaded with a ball, and then three bolts facing out. So when he fired it, not only was there a cannonball coming at you, but there were three bolts coming at your boat that the side of your boat too that would just be spinning <laughs> like, oh, by the time God. they got to your boat. <laughs> then they found this other thing in there. So they chained cannonballs together. So they'd have like two balls chained together. Sho- That's what she shoved said. Down into- <laughs> shoved down into the hole. Hey, you should have waited. That's what she said again. <laughs> shoved down into the cannon and then boom, they would fire that thing out and there were two balls would be spinning. Oh my God. Connected. And so there would just be this spiraling thing coming at you. 
You literally would just like load a cannon and then put scrap metal in there. Jeez Louise. Yeah. And just fire that at people. And so like it was, it was at, the, at that point in time, their, their goal was really to scare more than to kill. Um, because in the end they might actually want to take that ship over yeah. or they might want to sell it or something like that. Yeah. So they don't want to completely destroy it, but they want to scare the shit out of people. Yeah. And so that's what, you know, jumping on to a thing with a, with a grenade full of shrapnel and a face full of matches and, and, and candles. I mean, that, that's that you're going to accomplish that, uh, <laughs> mission accomplished, yeah. just like George Bush on that big ship mission accomplished. <laughs> um, so, in seventeen eighteen, just a few months after acquiring the Queen Anne's Revenge, and he installed forty guns. He and his men of almost three hundred people sailed to Charlestown, also known as Charleston, South Carolina. Well, he and his guys set up a blockade of Charleston, South Carolina, not allowing anyone through either way. There were merchants trying to leave. There were merchants trying to arrive. They attacked up to like at least five ships at that point in time, not allowing anyone to enter or leave. And so they took over this one ship that had what they called, quote, prominent Charleston citizens on it. And I read one account that said that it was either the mayor or the governor's son was one of these prominent citizens. I've also read it's just a bunch of rich people that were out on the boat at the wrong time. But anyway, so he held these people as hostage and held them ransom, not for money, but for medicine. We'll go into what medicine specifically, but he he wanted specific medicine. Now, I'm sure they still took some gold and took some other things like that. But really what happened was, remember this group of people who went crazy after wine? Well, they were unleashed on Charleston. You know, a few hundred guys run through Charleston with free reign of the city and are told to go get this medicine. It took them like three days to get back to the ship. Oh, geez. And the whole time, Blackbeard's getting more and more pissed at the people that he's taken hostage. Mm -hmm. Having to deal with these people... And so he almost gets to a point where he kills some of them, but he doesn't kill anybody. They get back to the ship in time with the med- with the medicine and anything else that they wanted. So after they got all that stuff, they release the hostages without their clothes, uh, but let them go nice. again. So they went back north, said, hey, let's get out of South Carolina. It's too hot here. Let's go back to North Carolina. On or around June 10th, 1718... Blackbeard lost Queen Anne's Revenge at Topsail Inlet. Present day, it's oh. called Bogue. I think it's I think it's the Bogue Inlet um, near Beaufort, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. It ran aground. It hit it hit sand as it was trying to enter this inlet. And again, you know, Queen Anne's Revenge was a larger ship. It wasn't a sloop, so it needed a little bit more. It needed a little bit more depth, and it didn't have that. It hit sand. So he ordered his quartermaster, Israel Hands who is now the person that's captaining the adventure. Excuse me. I, I had written down revenge. It's the adventure. He basically told the guy who was, who's captaining the adventure to kind of ram them, to bump them, to see if they could get them off the, get them off the, the thing. It was a smaller ship, but it was still big enough that if it, it could bump them, maybe mm-hmm. he could get them off of this uh, sandbar. All that did was the adventure got stuck. This is where it gets kind of fuzzy. I did find a source, mm-hmm. like I told you before this, about 30 minutes before it was uh, time to record. I found this one source that was probably would have told the whole story. But uh, <laughs> but it, it basically, there's just, there's conflicting stories on the running aground. Mm-hmm. 
There are some people that the people that were on the ship who said that that was their that was their mission was to get into Bog Inlet and to basically be on the sound side of the outer banks as opposed to being on the ocean side. And so as they did mm-hmm. that, that's when they ran aground. The you know the sand had shifted or something like that. There's some other people who say that Blackbeard was like, screw it, boom, ran aground. And knew what he was doing when he ordered the adventure to ram him and also run aground. Here's another conflicting thing. Some say that he sent his other, he sent the other captain or he sent the other guy up up the island to go to like a village or something like that to seek help. Uh, somehow he got the other, he got he got his quartermaster, he got Israel hands away from the ship. And then what he did was immediately picked out the 30 strongest guys that he could fit on a sloop and had them all hold up everybody else. And then they just took all the shit they wanted off of all the other boats, all the gold, all the everything that they wanted to take <laughs> off of it, all the, everything that, that Blackbeard wanted, everything they could fit onto the boat. And then they took another one of the sloops and dropped off all the other guys on the other on an island. I didn't see if they lost their clothes or not, but then they just basically dropped them off on this <laughs> on this island by themselves. And when they got back, they took down all the sails off of the other boats and took them with them. Oh, that's messed up. That is messed up. <laughs> so it was almost, almost like it was planned. Blackbeard yeah. kind of had a, had a thing, but see, that's the thing. The taking over Charleston, that was close because they, they got away, but it happened in 1718 and the clock was ticking. Mm-hmm. So this was like in July and he had until September. Or it happened in June. So he had till September mm-hmm. to try and get that pardon or someone was coming to kill Blackbeard. Mm-hmm. At that point in time, he got very lucky. The governor of North Carolina lived in Bath, which is right on the border of North Carolina and Virginia. It's uh, one of the oldest cities in the colony, uh, making it one of the oldest cities in, in America. Mm-hmm. Basically, Blackbeard pulled up in his full ass boat <laughs> he wound up taking two boats i'm not sure which he, I know he took a sloop and he took another one because he wound up with two boats in the end so he either got the adventure off of the sand or i don't know what happened but he wound up with two boats in the end but he took this sloop up to to bath mm-hmm. and uh governor eden of uh there's a town now called edenton he he lived in bath blackbeard just ran up mm-hmm. there and in the boat basically you know quote unquote backed the truck up and gave Governor Eden a whole bunch of free stuff. And Governor Eden, in exchange for basically protection, he gave him the pardon. (laughs) Even though it was decreed that he could do it, he still could have just Mm -hmm. had him killed. But he gave him the pardon, basically saying like, okay, here's the deal. You can hang out here, but you cannot attack Bath. And you can't interrupt any of the sales. You can't interrupt any of of the trade going on in Bath. Um, but you have safe, safe Harbor here. And so basically that's what mm-hmm. happened. You actually wound up marrying a woman from Bath, um, you know, signed, signed, got, got his pardon and was pardoned and, and lived in North Carolina cause he was pardoned by the North Carolina governor. And so at that point in time, he basically retired. He still had his friends. He still had his ships and that kind of thing. And I think it's kind of implied that he never really stopped. Mm-hmm. He just didn't mess with stuff that would get him in trouble. Probably just kind of stick, kept to like what his, what his mentor did. Just, you know, get your enemies. Yeah. Probably just engaged that way. But anyway, so he just kind of kept a low life. And like, in theory, he, he, he settled down and just kind of just hung out. Well, the problem is, like I said, Bath is right there on the border with North Carolina and Virginia. 
and we didn't talk about it much, but he spent some time in Chesapeake. Mm-hmm. He spent some time, you know, up and down the East Coast. So he had put he had, he had given enough trouble to Virginia that the governor of Virginia thought that Bath was a little too close to Virginia. Yeah, and so even having the pardon, even living in North Carolina and not going over into the waters of Virginia, yeah. uh, Governor Spotswood uh, decided that he needed to get rid of Blackbeard. And so it was time to, he decided it was time to eliminate him. So uh, since, since Blackbeard had smaller boats, he was closer to the coast. And so they had to actually send in two smaller sloops. They were hired um, and then put under the command of Lieutenant Robert Maynard. Uh, And I'm going to read this straight up because this is pretty much like straight from the history books of what like the final, the final moments of, uh, of Blackbeard are like. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so uh, Blackbeard, they had offered a hundred dollar reward and smaller sums for the le- for the lesser crew members. Maynard sailed from the James River on November eleventh, seventeen eighteen, in command of thirty men from HMS Pearl and twenty five men of and midshipmen of HMS Lime, and in the command of hired sloops the Ranger and Jane. Maynard found the pirates anchored in a North Carolina inlet on the inner side of Ocracoke Island on the evening of November 21st. So a little bit further down from Bath than there. Maynard and his men decided to wait until the following morning because the tide would be more favorable. Blackbeard's Adventure, which is, I guess, the ship that he had gotten un- un- unstuck, mm-hmm. had a crew of 19, quote, 13 white and 6 Negroes, as reported to the Admiral. A small boat was sent ahead at daybreak. It was fired upon and then it quickly retreated. Blackbeard's superior knowledge of the inlet was of much help, and although he and his crew had been drinking in the cabin the night before. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so they're basically hung over and get attacked in the morning by a, a little tiny ship, and they're like, oh, here we go. So You're apparently, like, not this again. <laughs> Blackbeard saw this. So Blackbeard, like, throughout the night, waited for Maidern to make his move, and Blackbeard cut the anchor cable and quickly attempted to move towards a narrow channel. Maynard made chase, however, his sloops ran aground, and there was a shouted, shouted exchange between the captains. Maynard's account says, At our first salutation, he drank, drank damnation to me and my men, whom he would still, he would, who, who he still would cowardly puppies saying. I don't know what that means. Okay. Yeah. I guess he called, I guess he basically, he drank, he drank to their damnation, and then he called them cowardly puppies. Uh, I like it. <laughs> I'm going to use that insult from now on. Yeah. He would neither give nor take quarter, although many different versions of the dialogue exist. Eventually, Maynard's sloops were able to float freely again after the, after the tide changed, and he began to yeah. row towards Blackbeard. Since the wind was not strong enough at the time for the setting sail, they had to row. When they came upon Blackbeard's adventure, they were hit with a devastating broadside attack. Midshipman Hyde, captain of the smaller HMS Jane, was killed along with six other men. Ten men were also wounded in the surprise attack. The sloop fell astern and was a little help in the following action. Maynard continued his pursuit in HMS Ranger, managing to blast the adventure's rigging, forcing it ashore. Maynard ordered many of its crew to its holds and readied it to be boarded. As the ship approached, Blackbeard saw the mostly empty decks, assumed it was safe to board, and did so with ten men. This is from that uh, Boston newsletter. Maynard and Teach themselves begun the fight with their swords. Maynard making a thrust, the point of his sword against Teach's cartridge box, and bent it to the hilt. Teach broke with the guard, uh, broke the guard off of it, and wounded Maynard's fingers, but did not disable him. 
Whereupon he jumped back and threw away his sword and fired a pistol which wounded Teach. Demelt, somebody who was new to his story, <laughs> uh, struck in between them with his sword and cut Teach's face pretty much. <laughs> in the interim, both companies... Pretty much, for the most yeah, part. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. I'm like, what is this guy, like 19? Yeah. Pretty much cut him in the face. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> in the interim, both companies engaged in Maynard's sloop. Despite the best efforts of the pirates, including a desperate plan to blow up the adventure, Teach was killed and the battle was ended. So reportedly, uh, Teach was shot five times and stabbed more than 20 times before he died. And then... Damn, that was a tough son of a bitch. (laughs) And then they cut off his head. Oh, yuck. So then there's like this, there's this story, and, and, and I saw it in every single story, and the number changes. But the number I saw that was a pretty good average was so supposedly they threw his headless body over overboard and it swam around the boat three times before sinking. <laughs> now there's also a story later on about how they tied his body to a mooring on a on a on a pier. Uh, and there's like all kinds of stories about how they, they, they displayed his body and they displayed his head. His head was displayed like all kinds of places, like on the ends of the, uh, on the ends of this ship to begin with. And it was kind of passed around for a while. And yeah, yeah anyway, so, uh, it was, yeah, it was like p- place as a trophy on the bow of the ship. Um, and it was required by Maynard to claim his prize when he returned home. So I don't know if he has... <laughs> You know Blackbeard's head. I'm sure. I'm sure there's a roadside attraction somewhere in America that claims to have Blackbeard's head. Blackbeard's head. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, I I choose to believe the first option that his headless body swam around the boat three times. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I did see as much as twenty times. Oh well, even better. Even better. Yeah. Yeah. I, I saw one estimate that was like between five and twenty times. No, it was between one and twenty times. I'm like, well, okay. 10? That's quite the broad scope. Yeah, that's why it's kind of like three. Uh, that's all I'm giving you. Even though uh, uh, Maynard got hurt in the battle, he still only received his $100. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the crazy thing. So Blackbeard was between 35 and 40 years old when he died, which, you know, okay, all right, I can, I can assume yeah. that. Everything that Blackbeard did mm-hmm. happened in 2017 and 2018. Huh? Everything that he did, like Blackbeard was Blackbeard in 2017 and 2018. You mean 717 and I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> That's Blackbeard. What I, was, I was like I was like no. I was like wait a okay, minute. Yeah, I'm am sorry, I, sorry, sorry. Am I stoned right now? <laughs> no, sorry. Blackbeard was Blackbeard from 717 <laughs> to 718. That's so it. Two years. If that. Years. If that. A calendar year. Wow. I mean, who knows? I mean, it, so like he only had the Queen Anne's revenge for less than two years because he lost it, and then yeah, that's insane. So yeah, so the only like his whole piracy career was in two two years. That's nuts. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so he became that famous, you know, just in the in those two years. But there's like all these different stories about when he died, like that he was he was reloading his pistol when he was killed. And he died from blood mm-hmm. loss, and then that's when they cut off his head. Or so let's see. Back to that uh, ex- excavation. Artifacts related to weaponry have been found. Over twenty nine cannons, cannonballs, gun parts, ammunition, thousands of lead shot, sword parts, and hand grenades. 
So they found shoe buckles, buttons, straight pins, scissors, ceramic tobacco pipes, lead gaming markers, which I thought was interesting, navigational instruments made of copper, brass, compasses, dividers, sounding weights, and measuring implements, medical equipment used by the ship's French doctors to treat the crew and cargo. So, remember whenever we were talking about special medication? Yeah. It's widely believed that not just, I mean, I'm not just picking on Blackbeard here, but it's pretty, pretty widely believed that a lot of pirates had syphilis. You know, I've heard that before. Yeah. I've heard that. So a common cure, which was not a cure, do not do your own research, but it is not a cure for syphilis, is a certain type of mercury Okay. put into a syringe. And then put into the tip. Oh, no, 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 no. Remember the other no. day I told you I told my wife something that made her squirm? Oh, you jerk face. You uh, just did it too. No. Yeah. yeah. I don't even have a penis and that made me hurt. <laughs> I mean, just, just in the pee hole. Just, just oh, think in the pee hole. God, why? I don't know. But I've also seen some pictures of these quote-unquote syringes, and they're not modern-day syringes. <laughs> they're more like uh, they're more like a turkey baster, and yeah. as far as diameter goes, even worse. <laughs> even worse. Yeah. So that was one of the things was that they they uh, that was what they held up South Carolina. That's they held up Charleston, South Carolina, for was mercury for their ding dongs. Oh Lord. Yeah. Um, so there was all kinds of stuff like uh, a. Cauterizing iron for sealing wounds, all kinds of different stuff. Uh, I, I, I thought this was interesting. A pewter bleeding bowl, you know. Um, um bloodletting and leaching yeah. were big things, though, to remedy illness. That's all I could think of was yeah, yeah. like the like the bloodletting. Um, let's see. Then um, they, all kinds of other stuff. They had like they fa- they found. German stoneware jugs, uh, French earthware dishes for dining. They found some pewter plates. Like basically, there was a difference between what Blackbeard and captains would use. Um, and so basically, I, I I I kept it under wraps. But the 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 ship that they found is the Queen Anne's Revenge. So oh, the Queen Anne's cool. Revenge is is the ship that I'm talking about. Yeah. Um, I didn't want to give it away that that was the one that that was lost. Um, mm-hmm. but that's the one that was, was trapped at the Bogue Inlet and and over time just you know just kind of eroded down to the to whatever. So uh, so yeah. So they found all kinds of stuff in there. They even found um some Chinese porcelain, uh, like a teapot lid. Yeah. And suggesting that 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 time they were using they were drinking tea. Huh. And and or at least using tea like for drinking the ritual of tea. There are very few leftovers from the slave trade. Like I said, there were some iron shackles. Mm-hmm. Uh, there were tiny fragments of African gold jewelry. There was some gold dust and lots of glass trade beads and a few copper beads as well. Things that would have come from Africa. So they've actually, since 1996, been able to yield more than 250,000 artifacts from the Queen Anne's Revenge. Oh, wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And so I was... Something made me think, like, is is Blackbeard copyrighted? Mm-hmm. I was trying to think, like, you know, has somebody taken the name Blackbeard and all that kind of stuff? So I was taken to a news story about the lovely state of North Carolina legislature. Oh, boy. Um, by the way, uh, people don't know, we taught the rest of the world about gerrymandering. 
uh, <laughs> legislative maps. We did. I mean, like literally, like we wrote the book. Yeah. Um, we wrote the book and had the book thrown at us by the by the actual Supreme Court. We're like, ah, I don't Let's know. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they redid it again and made it worse. Anyway, so yeah. uh, so we did that, and not only that, we also brought you uh, the uh, the bathroom bill. Um, <sighs> so yeah. So anyway, um, a few years ago, around 2015, the state of North Carolina, there's a company that was hired. That, that basically got the contract to be the videographers and the crew that films the extraction and the excavation of the Queen Anne's Revenge. Okay. And so they did this and it's their property. So the state of North Carolina, apparently like through some kind of website or something, they showed some copyrighted material. They showed some video and some photos that belong to this company. Mm-hmm. Well, the company was like, wait a minute, that's our stuff. And so they actually won $15,000 in a lawsuit with North Carolina. This company who has been underwater, not exactly in the safest area. It was enough to take down the Queen Anne's Revenge. So the state of North Carolina decided, hold on a second. That's our property down there. Okay. Anybody that's filming anything that's our property, that's public domain. And so the company who has been working there for two decades... Now, all of a sudden, their work that was theirs and mm-hmm. copyrighted by them is now worth nothing. <gasps> That's some dirty stuff right there. And it's even gone through the Supreme Court. That is some dirty, dirty shit yeah. right there. Yeah. Let's see here. Blackbeard in history. I, I kind of this this is one of the things that led me down like this. This Blackbeard belong to anyone. Mm-hmm. So Blackbeard in popular culture. So he's mentioned twice in Robert Louis Stevenson's Treasure Island. And then he in Marvel Comics, Dr. Doom sends the Fantastic Four back in time to find Blackbeard's treasure. Blackbeard also appears in The Night of the Villains as an enemy of Spider-Man. <laughs> you know, the I, I, I almost envision him as like uh, one of the universal monsters. Like, <laughs> like they've just like decided like yeah it's like the mummy and Blackbeard oh, yeah no totally good um, so um, I I didn't remember this that uh, Captain Hook actually was the boatswain of Blackbeard from Peter oh. Pan yeah DC Comics episode of The Watchmen features horror stories surrounding a ship from hell crewed by the damned and captained by Edward Teach. Nice. They, didn't, they didn't really try real hard there. Some say that the character Keith Keith Richards portrays in the Pirates of the Caribbean is uh, Captain Teague is his name. Mm-hmm. So a lot of them say maybe he's you know a, a, a nod to Teach, Thatch, Blackbeard, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> Blackbeard even makes an appearance as a member of the Jury of the Damned to decide whether or not Homer Simpson should go to hell ex- for exchanging his soul for a donut. <laughs> there, there was a memorable quote I don't remember it I mean I'm a Simpsons fan but uh, R this chair be high says I <laughs> <laughs> and there's your Simpsons reference for this episode <laughs> there we go I gotta get one in Blackbeard was once the featured centerpiece of the famous Disney park attraction Pirates of the Caribbean okay. Yeah. From 1967 to 2006, when he was replaced by Hector Barbosa from the Pirates of the Fran- Pirates of the Caribbean movie franchise, and as a reminder, Captain Hector Barbosa is a fictional character. 
of the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise who has appeared in all five films of the Disney series. Yeah. Thank you, Disney. <laughs> There's a whole like I actually edited myself on a whole thing about Disney because yeah. I need I need more research. But um but yeah, so that's Blackbeard. Um I know it took a long time to get there, but we got there eventually. I love it. Good job, dude. Good job. I love it. And you know, it's like it, there's really no like it's just everything just takes place outside. That's that, yeah. that's my justification for this. Listen, one. Everything just takes place outside. It's the great outdoors, is it not? Yep, sure yeah. is. So, yeah. there we go. Yeah. <laughs> well, um I'm going to go ahead and just say you can find me at Pox Holiday. <laughs> Uh, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I have a podcast that occasionally comes out called the Pox and Puss Podcast, in addition to this one. Uh, you can find us at In the Pines on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. Yeah, In the Pines Pod. In the Pines Pod, that's it, yes. yes. What and, else? And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at hey that Nikki N-I-K-K-I. Um, and yeah, that's about it. I think yeah. we're, we're both delirious at this point. It's 10 yeah, we're, we're, at night. <laughs> we're both, yeah, I was gonna say, we're both looking down at the clock and it's like, I'm normally in my jammy jams. <laughs> I, listen, I got in my jammy jams before we started recording because I was like, I'm gonna be comfy. I'm gonna yeah, be comfy. I'm looking at mine right now going, I should have just gone ahead. But, uh, yeah. But yeah. Well, cool. Well, uh, happy 13th month anniversary. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> and this one will try and get out as close to the beginning of the month as possible. Happy Enchilada Day again. Yay! Ah, happy Enchilada. I meant to say happy Enchilada at the beginning. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Make it a t-shirt. Well, how do we wrap this sucker up, my friend? Oh, yeah. How do we do it? Uh, well, some people go into the waters to make memories. And some people go into the waters to be forgotten. <laughs> ah, damn it, we almost made it all the way through. Anyway, awesome. Ho, 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 yo.